All right. Well, we are uh, back with uh, kind of a part two on the conversation we were just having. This is Pastor Quint with the Quintessential Ministry Podcast. I'm joined again by TJ Schaefer. TJ? Woo, I'm back. All right. And uh, so we shut the mics off, and we got to talking, and... Um, and we decided let's just keep rolling because this is a really good conversation. So this is kind of mm-hmm. like part two of the same conversation. Um, but w- really what we want to talk about in, in light of this personality stuff, and I know we, we hit on Enneagram, but like really just in general. Like I mentioned, mm-hmm. um, when I was growing up, my mom, um, shout out again, hi, mom, um, <laughs> got tied in with Florence Littauer, Personality Plus, went to the class, did the whole thing. Uh, so this stuff's been around like a long time. And mm-hmm. I mean... One of the things that I think is interesting is this idea of, like, bestowing, we'll say that, like, placing a type on a person when you engage in them. So let's say you start to dabble in this stuff. You start reading on Myers-Briggs or the disc profile, Enneagram. You pick your poison. You start looking at it, and you start to feel like you are now smart enough to call out what someone is, right? Um, The question I always have, well, I guess that's kind of... Maybe that's for the second half of the podcast. I was going to go down the nature-nurture <laughs> oh, yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. And again, the podcast world has so much content on this that I almost feel silly talking about it in my ignorance. But mm. it's interesting conversation to have because um, I think that it is something that I don't talk about a lot on this podcast. Maybe people haven't. Mm-hmm. Maybe people who listen to my stuff haven't really explored. But yeah. anyways, before we get there, TJ, maybe just talk for a minute about some of the things you've learned and experienced with like what you call typing people, yeah. but uh, bestowing a type of personality on someone, and now you're seeing them through that lens, Yeah, and what that, the pros and cons, focus on cons probably, mm-hmm. of, of trying to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, typing... If you listen to the last one, we ended with me saying, uh, hey, that's, it can be a, become a dangerous weapon if you don't really take the time to understand these tests. Um, because typing is so dangerous because it's instantly putting your own spin and projection of what you think is right onto somebody else. And then um, now all of their interactions are now tainted with your perspective. Instead of being able to see them with a clear lens, um, you already assume what their motive is, or you already assume why they're doing it. You assume what they're thinking, which um, that leads to, A, um, less empathy, ironically. You know, that right, leads right. to less empathy because you're already, you're not taking the time to, like, stay curious and learn. You're in a place of, I already know what's going on. Right. And so you lose empathy, you lose compassion, and then you lose patience with people. And so, like, granted, you know, I've been in that place, too, you know, where I've seen sometimes I've just I've had a prejudice. We were kind of talking about it beforehand, but like a prejudice towards certain like Enneagram numbers before, uh, because I had seen the common thread that had hurt me through some relationships that I had with people who are a little unhealthy that I identified as a certain Enneagram number. Um, But man, when I started typing people to protect myself. I was like, mm, you're probably this Enneagram number, and I'm going to keep my distance right? because right. I've been hurt by your type, <laughs> which is so, A, unfair, unhealthy, and not it's like, compassionate. It's like personality racism. It, exactly, you it is. I mean? it's, like it's, it's literally a prejudice. It's literally going into the wow. conversation, assuming how they're, what their motives are, which is not fair to anybody. Yeah. I would never want anybody to go in a conversation like that with me. Right. I'm assuming whoever's listening, you don't want to either. And Quint, I know that's probably 
just fights that like, no, you're not going to control me with your opinions about me. And right, you're, right. you're, you're assuming that I'm going to do this. I don't know. Like that just, I mean, I feel like that'll rile anybody up Sure. because sure. Um, typing is so um, unfair, especially to the untrained person right? Um, because it, it ends up giving you the f- a false perspective, a false image of somebody right. at the end of the day. I think ultimately what we all want is a level of dignity to mm-hmm. be the person that we are. Yeah. Good and bad. Yeah. Right. That's but good. what happens when, uh, when you start trying to decide who someone is before you really get to know them, mm-hmm. is you're taking away that level of dignity, and yeah. you're just making decisions. Yeah. You are this way, or you are that way, or I am going to, and and the struggle with that is that you lose out on like the true relationship that yes. is there for who they actually are. You know yes. what I mean? So yeah. Um, so that's just the whole thing. I mean, that that's hard. And when I say all that, like I think of my kids and, you know, when, when you have children, those are the people uh, you legitimately like get to explore who, the, who are you? You get mm-hmm. to like find out every single day more about this person as they're figuring out who the heck they even are, right? <laughs> and so I have five little kids at home. And one of the things my wife and I have said forever is like we don't, as much as we know about this personality stuff and mess mm-hmm. and, and, and good and bad and all of it, one of the things we don't do is say, oh, this, he's definitely a whatever, mm-hmm. you know, a D on the disc profile or an eight on the Enneagram or any of that. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. a friend who did that with all of his kids. Mm-hmm. Every one of them, he was like, oh, definitely a D. Definitely, which is like an Enneagram eight or a mm-hmm. powerful cleric, very strong yep. personality type. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, bro, they're they're just naughty. Like they're just yeah. They they might need a spanking. I think that's actually what's going on here. I don't yeah. think that's their personality type. I think they're a toddler, and that's how toddlers <laughs> act. You know what I mean? So, and I'm saying that as someone who isn't Enneagram eight and understands sometimes I can act like a toddler even in my adulthood. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyways, all that to say, like one of the things we're real careful on is like I don't know when the the ages mm-hmm. that you want to go there. And so because mm. of that, I stay away from it. That's good. Because I want to give them the space to yeah. try out all the things, and I don't yeah. want to just, like, place some banner on them yeah. that they now have to live up to or whatever. Because I've wise. seen it. Yeah. I've seen it go poorly. Um, yeah. So anyways, that brings up the conversation, though, for sure. Yeah. If nothing else, of nature versus nurture. Oh, yeah. So tell me what you think about that whole part of the conversation based on your hours. You said in yeah. our last episode, you've probably put 200 hours into studying some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested to hear your response to where nature versus nurture lands on this personality stuff. Yeah, that's such a good question. And through my research, right, all, all the stuff that I've been reading through and have read through, I feel like the if I can call it the Enneagram community, is also pretty torn about it. Uh, most people fall in the middle of it's a little bit of both. You see some people who are, it's like, depending on their spiritual background, they say it's always been destined, it's it's divine. Um, people who are less spiritual... When you say it, you mean... Sorry, your their personality. personality. Yes. Uh, it you're, it you're is like ben. divinely bestowed. Correct. And you, it just gets revealed as you grow up. Correct, okay. Yes. Uh, thank you for unpacking that. That's all right. And uh, and, and then the other way is is full nurture, where um, it's just it's a part of the human experience to to have suffering and pain and hardship, which molds you and shapes you 
into your your motives or your your actions or your patterns and thoughts. And so, mm. um, I guess I'd say for myself, what I've seen uh, a big thing that the specifically the Enneagram lands on is that you don't your motive doesn't necessarily ever change. And so that's what makes a lot of the Enneagram different too, between like when you take the DISC assessment, they say it's just about your pattern of behavior, which can change. Um, Or when you're looking at the Myers-Briggs, they reference that it's also possible because it's mainly just talking about your actions and patterns of your life. Whereas the Enneagram is talking about your why. And a lot of the times people's why in their life or their motive um, doesn't necessarily change their core drive or their desire because it's like trying to forever fulfill that space that wasn't filled as a kid or that wasn't that or that was broken uh, at some point in their life. So I guess I'd probably fall in between. Um, I land on as as well that it, I think the way we were raised, right, with with between living in a sin filled world, experiencing brokenness and hardship that uh, your Enneagram motive, I mean, can the Lord do anything? A hundred percent. But all these motives aren't necessarily healthy. Um, They're pretty neutral. And so I think when we look at the neutral motives, that I think the Lord definitely could have designed us um, with each placing that in us with purpose, right? And like we said in Romans, where it says the Lord uses all things Mm -hmm. for, for our good, for the good of those who are living according to his purpose. And so God can use my motive um, and restore it, transform it for the kingdom's growth. And so I guess that's where it'd fall. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, this came up when you and I had lunch last month, and it's a really unspiritual answer, but I'll give it. (laughs) um, The thing that really opened my eyes up to the, uh, I guess I'd say the nurture so, like no, well, I think it kind of. I'm I'm right in the middle. I'm yeah. Like, I, I I think yeah. it's a fifty fifty split. Hundred really percent. Yeah. Because I'll tell you why. That dumb TV show, This Is Us. We oh. talked about this. Do you remember oh, this? Yep. Yes, we did. And like, let me start. Which it's it, it's a it's beautifully written. You it know, is. what I mean, the show is beautifully written. But yeah, yeah, yeah go it's ahead. A, their lives are just tire fires, though. I mean, I just <laughs> it's so sad. So true. And it's hard for me. I hate watching stuff where it's real. It really is a. It's hard having the truth, knowing Jesus, knowing mm-hmm. how wholeness is actually realized, watching yeah. entertainment that highlights people just trying to, like, they're a yeah. kite in the wind and they're trying to filter their way through life based yeah. on whatever, yeah. is really... It's heartbreaking. It is. It's really... Well, because we can feel the burden of the lostness and the right. brokenness, and you're like, how is this supposed to entertain me in light of knowing Jesus? Right. It's not entertaining. It's really sad and right. it's eye-opening if anything right you know to help us yeah but. and like there's always the the hollywood bend to like end it in a mm-hmm. some type of happy and warm moment but i think that like where i struggle with that and this is sorry i'll get back to my point uh where i struggle with that though is that like i know as a pastor without jesus at the center yep there is no happy and warm moment there might be a happy and warm reprieve from the next wave that's, that's going to hit and that's kind of sucky so yeah. if you are listening and want to know more about what we're talking about email me qlimbladadirifirst.org <laughs> i would love to talk to you about where true hope comes from uh, but anyways that's this good. is not for a this is us review but what li- what made me aware of this or made me think about this was there's this whole scene there's if you don't know the show there's three siblings 
and it's following their adult lives and all this stuff. And anyways, one of them goes to rehab, mm-hmm. and at rehab, he gets all this counseling, and mm-hmm. then he brings his two siblings in to pretty much explain to them how their great and ideal upbringing cost him a great and ideal upbringing. You can imagine that did not go over well with the two siblings who Mm-mm. thought they were showing up to, to his rehab to finally hear him say, hey, guys, I'm sorry, I'm such a mess up. Instead, he projected all of this pain and hurt on them. So it was a whole mess. But it was intense. One, the, the brother was the cooler head that prevailed and just stepped up and said, hey, you know what, Kevin? I'm not here to... to tear to the ground Mm -hmm. how you think you experienced our childhood Mm -hmm. you like he essentially bestowed that dignity that we're talking about where he just said he said you know what i if that's how you feel i'm sorry that's how you feel and essentially diffuse the situation Mm -hmm. i don't think anything healed or was fixed i don't even remember that that scene sticks out to me though and anyways the reason that sticks out to me as a parent with five little kids is because i am very aware on the quarter acre of land that my family owns in Erie, <laughs> Pennsylvania, there are five little people experiencing the same little upbringing five different ways. Yeah, and so I, there is a nature component mm-hmm. where they, God, they were born in a certain way and then have experienced certain things, and there has even at their little age already been certain levels of wounding or hurt, like we talked about yeah. in the last episode, yeah. that has started the process of creating agreements, mm-hmm. and then from those agreements, we formulate behaviors, yeah. and here we are. So yeah. I think it's both in. You have this innate, um, you have this innate like view of the world that yeah. you're given, then experiences happen that further shape that innate yes. view of the world. Yes. And so it kind of like... They go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. This is just my. I'm. I'm not Captain Research over here. I'm just telling you <laughs> what I've seen, and how I've experienced it, and then how I view my little kids experiencing it. Yeah. And so I'm very aware, and, and it's hard, but you try as a parent to like be tuned in mm-hmm. and be sensitive to how they, how this one experiences mm-hmm. getting his cereal last every morning. Yes. Versus how that one does. This one doesn't even notice what order he was in. This mm-hmm. one's keeping score over here. Yes. Okay, probably should pay attention to that so he doesn't end up in therapy about... <laughs> I mean, I'm being funny, but I'm being a little serious, serious, too. Yeah, because you know? yeah. like, it starts off small where parents right. are like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Can I give you a personal example? I'm I ready. I don't think I've ever told anybody this. And I don't think it's... I honestly don't think it's a thing. But if it is, maybe God will show me. But I am aware... That like, let me just use a hypothetical example that mm-hmm. hasn't happened, but totally, this would totally be how this would go in my brain. Okay, mm-hmm. um, if I told my wife I'm gonna be home at four forty-five, yeah, and then I was almost running late, like it was gonna be four forty-five and fifty-nine seconds, mm-hmm. so I was like technically gonna hit it, but not. So everything essentially, I left late enough. All the stars had to align for me to actually keep my promise. Yeah. Okay. If I hit three red lights or one red light mm-hmm. and anything goes wrong, immediately in my brain, I've just become aware this is how I process the world. Immediately in my brain, I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to keep my word, but it's not my fault. Mm. So I am exonerated, right? Like I, yep. so like I, it's, it is now the fault. Of, I did everything I could 
yep. technically rule of the law, right? And so yep. like, that is just a yes. personal example of yes. how I see it. And that's not, it's not because my wife is like, you said 445. It's nothing to do with that. It's just like, no, literally, yeah. I'm sure it's something to do from when I was a kid and how I process things. And yeah. like, I see experiences like, I, if, if I'm responsible for something and mm-hmm. something goes wrong, I like innately look for, is there a, a legitimate place I could shift the blame? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not, how can I shift the blame? That's manipulative. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I'll own it. If I don't, hey, if I said 445 and I left at 440 yeah. and I'm 20 minutes late, that's on me and I own it. Yeah. But if there's like a legitimate one, mm-hmm. you best believe I'm all <laughs> yeah, about I'm gonna it. use so, that. So I don't know what, where that's from, but that's just like a silly, mm. stupid personal example of like how this manifests in my real life mm. of like, I just look for it just, hey, is there any way I'm off the hook on this one? Oh, yeah. Cool. All right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. So. Oh, yeah. White space. Yeah. Be- beautiful thing to learn. It yeah. is hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Creating yourself that space. So, so anyways, um, I don't know. What do you think uh, as far as... Like, give me what you're thinking on the this is us thing or just like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. With, with those things that you're talking about, it really does come down to perspective and respecting perspective and being able to meet them where they're at and uh, having people around you to meet you where you're at. It's like almost like saying what you're experiencing is valid, but it doesn't mean that it's a hundred percent truth. Right. And that's where you have to teach the skills of being able to discern and process through um, what portion is my responsibility responsibility versus outside of my control and how can I fix this next time so it is within my control, right? The whole example of, of like, okay, you know, I hit these red lights. Next time I have to plan, I'm going to leave five minutes early. Er. So if I do hit those red lights, that I'm still going to make it on time. Like my dad raised me with the line of, uh, you know, you prepare for the worst scenario, but expect the best scenario to come of it. Um, and so you're ready, but you're also hopeful. Right. And it creates this weird, you know, so I, I see myself because of my upbringing and how my dad raised me with that line of thought of how I process situations to come mm-hmm. is I'm always in my head of like, oh no, what's going to go wrong? People might interpret that as pessimistic, but it's my way of preparing to a protect myself and help myself prepare myself for the situation at hand. So then I can go into it and I'm like, okay, everything's going to go great. But then if things don't, then I'm ready. And I knew and I prepared that things might go sideways or a little off kilter, you know? Yeah. But all that, all that stuff, like what we're talking about comes from upbringing, comes from what we've experienced, how we perceived things from our friends and family. And I think that's a, the beauty of why, um, all these personality tests are never, I mean, if you feel like you're being boxed in by them, that's because you're not using them correctly. Right. Um, right. The, the, they're meant to help bring some vibrancy and understanding to yourself and to help you grow beyond, to, to grow forward and, um, and, and to know that there's, they're four-dimensional. They're meant to be four-dimensional tools to help you in all these areas of your life. And, and so like, I can't tell you how many times as I've processed Enneagram, how that is brought things up in my heart that the Lord has used to talk to me about. And it just blows my mind when I started processing those things because I am, um, I wouldn't say the iconic Enneagram 7, but I would say people aren't usually surprised. If they know the Enneagram, they're like, oh, yep, I knew you were a 7. Right, right. 
A, not because of my outgoingness, not because of my people skills, um, which that that's what usually those people are referring to, but um, the, the textbook feeling of my drive is to be satisfied. My core drive is is to be satisfied and to be free and full is, right. is maybe the simplest way to describe it. So, for example, when I got married, that was a really challenging experience for me because I wanted to be married and I loved my wife. But the moment I was married, I felt the constriction in a lot of different ways that the normal average person would be like, oh, this, this is different. I'm going to transition um, through the, I'm going to work through this transition of life. For me, it made me feel stuck. It made me feel like I was sinking, which was ironic because I was like, man, I'm so in love and I wouldn't want to be with anybody else. And I also don't, like, I wanted to be with Nicole, but because that was such a drive that that innate, innately pushed me to that. But the Lord talked to me about it. We processed through it. Um, it and I talked to some, talked to Nicole, talked to some safe people that I trust. And, but, but because I knew that that is a drive in my life, that I was able to quickly identify when I was feeling those things to work through it so it wasn't coming out in unhealthy ways, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we spent a little bit, of, a, a fair amount of time talking about nature-nurture upbringing with kids mm-hmm. and with your parents or whatever, but, like, man, we could go forever on, like, this... If you think you can not explore this stuff with your spouse mm. and have a chance, I mean, I'm sorry, but, like, yeah. marriage is hard work, mm-hmm. and knowing what people's experiences are. Sorry, I have a phone call coming in. <laughs> um, anyways, marriage is legitimately hard work. And if you think you're not going to discover or, or explore the situations that your spouse has gone through that's led them to where they are today mm-hmm. and how you can support them in that way or yes. how they can support you, like that is so... Um, I don't know. That's just a huge part of it. So that's not to say like yeah. you have to do this, but it's just, it, again, these are tools yeah. that are so beneficial. Yes. And finding out, I mean, my wife still, we've been, my wife and I, we've been married 14 years, 13 years. I always lose track. We're in year 14. Mm. I don't know. A while. Yeah. And we are still <laughs> like now working through things, talking through things, figuring mm. out, because life always changes. Then you add a bunch of kids, then you add a dog, then you add that, like, yeah. every, you know, that, what's that saying? The only constant is change. Like, mm-hmm. there are so many, um, so many variables always changing the game. So if you're yep. not actively putting work in, you're by default, you're, you're going to lose ground. You're losing ground already. Yeah. yeah. And that's true. Even, you know, if you're listening and you're not married, that's okay. You can use this for your friends. Sure. You, you, you can use this for your parents and your siblings. It's it, it just, it's so vital for all relationships, whether it's romantic or platonic, because I can't tell you how many times it's helped me to understand my friends better. Right. And like pull them in close in moments when I normally would have pushed them away. Right. Because I didn't understand their perspective or their motive. And so, yeah, 100% that it's just... Uh, as you tread the waters of this, it's so beneficial and, and you gain so much ground in taking the time to like know people well. Sure. And, um, not just assume, not just box them in, but really explore and understand them for how God has created them. Right. It just, yeah, maybe, uh, wrap up real quick, just talking about, um, we talked a little bit about like the different levels of health yeah, or the spectrum of health, I should say, yes. in, 
in whatever your unique personality type is, the reality mm-hmm. is that whether you are aware of your personality type or not, mm-hmm. you have one, right? That's just <laughs> that's just life. And um, on top of that, you can you can uh, feed yourself in such a way that you are very healthy, yes. right? Like you can. Yeah. And a great way to do that is be in the Word and reading what the what the Bible, what the Lord says about who you are and who He's made you to be. Yes. But you can also feed yourself uh, on entertainment and other things and just be like really uh, unsure of who you are. Mm-hmm. You might be aware of your personality type, but you only focus on the negatives or whatever else. So anyways, just real quick, talk a little bit about like the spectrum of health that people can find themselves on inside their personality type and then how that... Because yeah. you can you can know who you are, but then you can be an even healthier version of that person. Yeah, yeah. When you're intentional about it. Yeah. Sometimes a misconception when you're starting to study the enneagram is uh, they talk about these things called like uh, the arrows of growth and the arrows of stress. Like each enneagram number, when you're in seasons of growth, you'll experience traits of another number, which they're all set in stone, like in this in a sense. And uh, when you're in seasons of stress, some of these unhealthy traits of a different number kind of come out in the in how you're, how I'd describe how you're trying to regulate and bring yourself back to normalcy or to security. You operate in different ways to bring yourself back there. Unhealthy traits and healthy traits, and so. And, and honestly, like on the disc profile, uh, if you're into that, and we talk about this here as a staff. Under we show your your disc makeup might be like mine is a DC right, mm-hmm. but under stress I go to I don't know I'm never stressed so no I'm just kidding never I I go to like an SC or something I withdraw yeah. essentially because yeah. an S is like mm-hmm. would be like an enneagram nine or something like that yeah. so I essentially when I get stressed I withdraw mm-hmm. because I get overwhelmed and so it's like uh, yeah. just do nothing and for the enneagram that makes hundred percent sense because when you are stressed you go to five right which, which is fives uh, right fives are are very um they're called they're called like the wise person right they're afraid of anyways so you pick up um, unhealthier traits of a five which is usually um, with, with the withdrawal the protection of self by pulling everything away from people and hi- and anyways so right. this makes so much sense yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um actually really what happens when i get stressed is i go to the doctor with heart palpitations and they tell me to stop eating so much garbage so <laughs> as happened that's last a fall that's but, fair advice yes. i respect that anyways like, but i like the oreos and i like all my junk food right that would be me you know all right, so but, uh, anyways, spectrum of health inside yes. the different personalities. Yes. So, the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I was saying when you when you're first jumping into the enneagram, it can be confusing because a you have your arrows, quote unquote, the arrows. Um, you have your wings, which are the numbers beside you, and then you have the depth of your number. So those are three separate elements. I know it sounds confusing, and that's okay. That's because you need to take time to learn it. You <laughs> only have to put in 199 more hours. And that's you, it. You will be where TJ. You will be exactly. You, if anything, you'll probably be farther um, because of the information now that exists versus when I started researching it. Um, that I just keep uncovering. I'm like, wow, this is so good. But anyways. Uh, there's a couple other components, but I'm not going to break those down. Those are just three big ones that I brought up. So when we're looking at your number, right, when you type or when you take like a free assessment or a paid assessment, um, you have to be careful that you're not taking this in a season of stress um, or like in a really high moment where you're like, I got my new job and I'm doing great and I'm on top of the world. I just had a kid and life's great. 
right? You don't want to take it in those moments because um, that can be a little misleading because you're in a different season than what you're normally in. You got to find this is my normal routine of life. This is when I'm going to take this test um, because you can mistype for those reasons. But when you find your type, and then when you're reading, specifically when you're identifying and saying, yep, that is the core motive of my life that I can see as a pattern of who I'm surrounding myself with, with how I operate at work or in my personal life when I'm just by myself, those are usually my motives. When you identify that, you can go deep in there to see how healthy of that number you are, which there's resources for that, very easily accessible if you um, basically just go online, type in health levels of each Enneagram and look up your number. Easy way to understand that there is um, two ways they divide it. There's like a scale of one to 10, one being the unhealthiest, 10 being the healthiest, or other ones divided into three sections of unhealth, average, and healthy. And so reading those descriptors, you're able to identify, and if it's hard for you, maybe bring that to a trusted person who really knows you well to say which one sounds like me and why. Um, because in that, you can see, man, um, from our perspective as Christians, as I root my identity in Christ, my worth, my value, um, I, you know, my life isn't defined by this number. It's not defined by these motives. Um, as you work towards that and grow towards that, you're, you grow in health, and you'll be able to see what that kind of looks like for your number, which is really cool. And so I'd probably say that's what I have. I also have this document, which I think is really cool, that I wanted to share with before we wrapped up, um, that I put together called the Gospel Message for each Enneagram number. Oh, that's cool. And um, and so, for example, I'll read. Do you want me to read mine or yours? Do both. I'll give a little bit. Okay. Do so, yours first. So for the Enneagram Seven, it says, um, "Only Christ can satisfy your core longing to hear that you will be taken care of. Jesus' death on the cross took care of all your needs. You can rely on His provision." Uh, complete sanctification and contentment are yours in Jesus. His living water never runs dry. You can slow down, process your feelings, and give all your anxieties to Christ. And look for God in your everyday experiences to savor him in the life he has given you. And then the Enneagram 8 message is that only Christ can satisfy your core longing to hear that you will not be betrayed. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection demonstrated that though we are weak, he is strong and protective. Christ will never betray or forsake you. He is a true advocate who you can always trust. You can hang up your armor and get in touch with your gentle side, resting in God's power, and embrace generosity and mercy. You were created to use your strength to plow a path for others. Bam. See if and oh 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 my gosh, yeah. TJ! I can't remember where I pulled that from, but I started compiling some stuff, and I'm like, yeah. this, this is beautiful. You gotta email me. That. Yeah, yeah, I will. So if you want it too, if you're listening, I'm gonna send it to Quint. Yeah. Uh, email Quint, and uh, he will pass that on to you too. It has all the enneagram uh, messages on there of understanding. Right, these core motives is, are because we're broken, but Jesus wants to heal that, and that's the beautiful gospel message that I was referring to last. And our last yeah. po- last episode was, right, each one of us has a unique message that we hear from Jesus that touches our heart in a way that nobody else can, nothing else can. Right. And, like, that's the beauty of, like, when you encounter the person of Jesus and he says those things to you, or you see that in Scripture, you experience that through your life, man, nothing is sweeter. Well, and that's you know? what I was going to say. Um, like, when I was listening to yours, I was like, yeah, this is this is good. This is nice. But, like, it wasn't hitting me. Oh. I mean, dude, you are a Ooh. sentence into eight, and I'm like, oh, my <laughs> gosh, that is me. Yeah. That I needed that, you know? And so, yeah. like, 
if you deny the validity, I mean, this is the mm-hmm. the point is that like every one of us has been wounded by this broken world mm-hmm. and those wounds have shaped how we go through life yep and yep. becoming aware of that and then opening ourselves up to becoming vulnerable to getting that healed mm-hmm. oh that's the only way forward yes. that's the only way forward so yeah. here's what i want to do that's a perfect segue we'll take a break here mm-hmm. and then um I think if you've been listening, if you made it this far and you're like, man, for two pastors, these guys really haven't talked much about the Bible and they talked a lot about the Enneagram. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll let's do a wrap up episode in a couple of weeks where we talk about um, where we like really pull out the Bible. Oh, yeah. And, and we like really dig into mm-hmm. what Christ says about you, about us, about let's me. Let's go. You know, and, and let's like yes. get into that because the point is to not just focus on natural things, but but to focus on. Yeah, his redemptive work on the cross and what he's doing through all of it. Exactly. If this I, if if this isn't stirring your affections for Jesus, then you need you need to bring it to Jesus immediately. You know, you need to bring right. these tests to Jesus because they're meant to keep your eyes fixed on Him. They're meant to say, "Man, in my weakness, you are made strong. Right. Man, in my shortcomings, you shine, or you're able to transform." It. You know, if anyways. Yeah, so I just wanted right. to share that of a hundred percent. Quentin, I stand behind that of these are tools that should stir your affection and continue to grow you closer to becoming Christ and knowing him better. And if it's not, um, right, then do it. Yeah, <laughs> like, because I, I think that's ultimately, that is the entire point. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm the entire point in digging into this is to, to recognize, like it's so validating to hear, hey, you have a wound. but there's a way to have it healed. Yes. That's the point. And that's why we want to look at that. And so like those wounds drive our motives, which is what you're talking about. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to recap the whole episode, but I mean, we went a lot of places, but that was just so good. Thank you so much, TJ. Thank you. We will come back together here in a couple of weeks and we'll put together a wrap up episode that really digs into like um, Mm -hmm. verse by verse, scripture by scripture, uh, message by message, what... God's truly after in his redemptive work on the cross, what Christ's redemptive work on the cross means for you and your personality and the healing of those wounds and how you can then start to shape your motives to be more as Christ would have them to be and less like you want them to be by default. Mm -hmm. So if that's not a good enough tease, I don't know what else to say, but thanks so much for listening (laughs) to this episode of the Quintessential Ministry Podcast. It's been really fun, and we'll catch you in a couple of weeks where we will uh, really dig into this Mm -hmm. on a scriptural level, and uh, I think you're going to be really excited for that. So we'll talk soon.